everybody. This is Bevan and my co-host Biscuit Reynolds. We are here to welcome you to Bevan, a femme over 40 and her friends podcast. I'm your host, Bevan, Biscuit Reynolds. I've said my name three times. It's time to start the show. Today, we're going to meet my friend, Jess Morgan Grace, who is incredible. Um, she is a very gifted psychic medium and uh, has a really great career trajectory, I think. Um, I really believed the myth that you go to school, you go to college, you get a job, and that's what you do for the rest of your life. And that brings you automatic success, especially when I went to law school. I really believed, oh man, I'm going to be successful and so secure. And that is a lie. <laughs> the real path of life is a meandering river, like of where you're meant to go and following your resonance. And it's really cool to see how all of those threads kind of weave back together um, things that you were doing 20 years ago that prepared you for stuff that's happening now, right? Things like that. So Jess's story is such a great example of how you can just release to spirit and allow it to come through. And I want you to stick around to the end of the episode and make sure you listen to um, the dating while psychic portion. Um, she and I have been discussing a lot about like dating while psychic, which is a whole different experience than just dating while ignoring red flags and <laughs> guidance and all of that kind of stuff. Um, and there's a lot of juicy stuff. So if you two are working with your intuition and, and or dating, um, it's going to be really relevant. This is a great episode. I'm so grateful you're here. Uh, the best way to support my work and this podcast is uh, through my Patreon page, Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash F-K-D-P, which stands for Fat Kid Dance Party, which is my aerobics class for anyone who feels left behind by mainstream fitness. If you've ever been called too much, too fat or felt too awkward to dance, this is the supportive class for you. Patreon is a safe and supportive, safe and secure and supportive, sure, Patreon's pretty supportive, uh, site where you can go help support creators that you love and uh, that you wanna see working in the world and whose uh, contributions to the world you value. I love Patreon. I think it really is the way that we're uh, enabling independent artists to make a difference in the world. I can live the way I live because of my Patreon supporters. And I am so grateful that I get to have the freedom to make up my own job and to make the world a little bit better because I was here because I'm able to support it that way. So patreon.com slash FKDP, the lowest tier allows you access to all of my Zoom aerobics classes plus spiritual self-care lessons. Um, I am a self uh, exploring spiritual person in the world and, and non-religious. So just figuring out my spiritual practice and weaving it into my self-care and then sharing what I figured out. It's very take what you like and leave the rest, but there are 20 lessons so far on there. I started out at 12 and then now we've already hit 20. So um, those are all on there as well. Um, in addition to all sorts of other bonuses uh, that aren't available anywhere else. So I hope that you will consider joining patreon.com slash fkdp it's in the show notes along with all sorts of other ways you can support me uh, and my work and of course connect with jess morgan grace because you're going to want to work with her um on with the show thanks for tuning in jess morgan grace welcome to the podcast yay i'm so glad you're here um i always start business in the front so will you tell us what we can do uh, with an hour of your time yes um, okay, let's see. I am a psychic and a medium and a uh, tarot reader and an energy 
clearer. Um, I do death work. Um, I do uh, ceremony. I'll marry you if you want um, or do a hand fast for you. Um, I do funerals. I do um, one of the, my favorite things I do is um, walk with people who are, I work with death doulas and I walk with people who are passing um, like uh, as they're crossing, um, which has been like some of the most powerful stuff I've been able to do. Um, but the majority of my work is uh, psychic work and medium work. So um, I can tell you, you know, we can look at what's going on with you, um, your ancestry, your like family patterning and inheritance. Um, and, you know, mm, earthly concerns too. you know, what your uh, love life looks like, what your work looks like, what your money looks like, all of the things. Those are the big questions people come in for. Yeah, there are five. <laughs> what are the other ones? There are like five major questions usually. <laughs> um, I know. I feel like that's like a trade secret we're not supposed to talk about. I don't think it's that secret. Uh, people, I mean, I don't know. I feel like I always hear it's like love, money, uh, work, uh, mm-hmm. and then and and things you can't control that are outside of yourself, like your yeah. kids or something. And kids. Mm-hmm. The other one. Um, I do a lot of work with um with parents um and i do like parent child readings which are also some of my favorites really cool stuff yeah you know because we don't it's really hard to know where the right boundaries are with your kids right in terms of like giving them space to be themselves but also watching out for them and the world is scary for kids right now and you know not that it hasn't always been but it's extra special right now the world right now, I'm so glad I was a gay nightlife producer in the 2000s and the 20 teens because being a gay nightlife producer in a time of mass shootings and like actual gay panic is like a whole different uh, level of responsibility that I'm not, I'm grateful I'm retired from that. I'm a day gay now. Uh, yeah, a day gay. Yes. Yeah. Same. Same. It's wild. Let's party at four. Like that's my, that's my sweet spot. <laughs> yeah, I know. Hey, do, do you, have you, have you ever gone to like the tea dances? Yes. I, uh, I hosted a tea dance for a minute. Yeah. I like tea dances. Tea dances are the perfect time. Get, let's yeah. have a hearty snack before and we'll have a meal after and enjoy. Exactly. Yeah. I loved tea dances. Even when I was in my twenties, I was like, let's do it. Yes. Um, Jess Morgan Grace, I was a more is more person. And so when I first started partying, I would have a packed, I didn't understand capacity. I didn't understand any of these things. And so I would like start partying on Thursday and like hit two to three parties a day through the mm-hmm. end of Sunday. So like yeah. a tea dance is like the perfect wine. Yes. <laughs> it is. I live like that. Now I'm like, the amount of, this was my question when you were talking about the things you do. I'm like, I want to know about your self-care and like what you have to do in order to vibrate at the level you need to, to serve clients with the types of metaphysical work you do. Oh God. That's a good question. Um, I don't know how good I am at it. My, uh, my peers, uh, my dear psychic friends, um, would say that maybe sometimes I'm not great at it. Um, what I find is that, um, Psychic work 
um, is not as taxing as mediumship work. Medium oh. work is really exhausting. Okay. Uh, it's why I have, I have this like um, maternal concern for Tyler Henry because of his Same. level of medium work. Same. Same. He's like, nobody is taking good care of him. I, I love his mother, but like, we need like a teen. It's like queer eye for like, are you handling your life? Okay. You know, just like yeah. send in a bunch of middle-aged queers to teach you how to structure your life. He needs more rest and recovery. He is channeling at a high level in those group readings. I can't imagine that it's good for him. And I am too. And that is in all the work I do, that's the most taxing. Like it's, it is really intense to um, read for someone and like uh, be contacting, like <clears throat> I was reading for one woman and her, uh, she wanted to talk to her sister who had been killed um, many years before. And when I got in touch with her, I, um, I talked to her and then I woke up the next morning and I felt like I couldn't breathe and I had all this pain um, in my chest. And then I called uh, the client who is also a friend of mine. And I was like, hey, um, what, how did your sister pass? Because I didn't know that piece of the story. Um, and she said, oh, she was shot through the chest and it lodged um, in this side. And so once I knew what it was, cause I was like, am I going to the emergency room? Am I having a heart attack? Like what's happening right now? And um, so uh, the physical toll that that takes on me, it takes me like days to recover from just one of those. And so Tyler, I'm like, oh God, <laughs> like, it worries me. It worries um, me too. So self-care is um, sleeping when I can um my hammock I have a hammock in my backyard like under these trees and that's like a, a pivotal piece of my self-care um and I there's a lot of that there's a lot of um I do what I call center ground protect constantly um like pulling my field back in because I'm I you know have trauma I'm hyper vigilant and so tend to like spread my field out into like the entirety of whatever building I'm in. And when you say field, I just want to clarify for folks who don't understand that's your energetic field. So like we're bodies, we're little meat sacks, but we're electric meat sacks that have an energetic field. And like some of us, like, you know, if you do work on a large scale, people pick up your energetic field. Like I draw mine back multiple times a day from all corners of the earth. So like, it's not just like the hypervigilance too, which is also part of it. And I've never heard someone talk about the hypervigilance sending the field out, but you're right. That's also part of it. Cause you're trying to keep yourself safe. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's the hardest, one of the hardest pieces of like, what, like when I'm working with students, um, that's always the first thing that like I harp on it is um, is that we have to be pulling our field back in and being aware of what we're doing with it. We have to be um, grounding ourselves um, in earth and in spirit. We have to be um, protecting our energetic field, right? And this is like sort of fundamental, we've talked about this, right? Like fundamental spiritual hygiene. Like we have to be uh, maintaining these boundaries, not just to protect ourselves, but also so that we're not invading other people's psychic space. Right. Yeah. Like you accidentally know 
the story, like the whole life story of the woman at the other end of the cereal aisle, then you like, there's a problem there because she didn't ask you to be in her business, you know? So, uh, like for me, that's a really big, big part of it. Um, also for me, self-care is like, um, I almost never go out in public without a hat on, um, because it closes off my crown. Um, and then there's not as much information coming in. Um, Mm -hmm. if I'm going into somewhere where there's a lot of noise, I wear those like, uh, noise reducing little earbuds. Um, I do all of that kind of stuff or like sunglasses if I need to, you know, and I've just gotten to the point now where I'm like, I might look insane. It's okay. Like, yeah, you know, because uh, sometimes the grocery store is too much, man. Yeah. I think at a certain point you just gotta like, and you know, I know a lot of people talk about your forties are like this liberation time, but like at a certain point you've got 20 years of adulthood under your belt and you're like, well, this is what works for me. I need to wear a hat because I'm so sensitive. I need to wear even noise blockers. Even if you're not psychic, just like if you get overstimulated by a lot of noise, like I, I may at some point have toddlers in my home, which still sounds like a crazy idea. And like, I can't imagine not having noise canceling for something that shrieks, uh, you know, like I wouldn't get a parrot as a pet, but you know, I would have a toddler for the period of time that they shriek like that. Um, but you know, just doing what you need to do to take great care of yourself. It's, this is the time I will put a link in the show notes to my spiritual hygiene meditation. It's free. I just want everyone to be protecting their energy. If you do one thing in these bonkers times, please protect your energy. Um, because there's so it's just it's crazy out there Uh, and I say that intentionally Um, Jess Morgan Grace I part of this podcast is just to show people all the millions of ways there are to be a happy successful adult Um, Mm -hmm. and you and I both have a lot of Capricorn in our charts and we have bonded a lot about like that this like Capricorn idea of who you're going to be at like 24 years old is like not who you end up and you were uh tell me about i know you were a a touring performance slam poet uh for a time and i'm curious what else you've done on this path to becoming a psychic medium um so i've done psychic work professionally on and off for probably 25 years wow um but uh, generally kind of as a side, whatever. Um, I was a bartender for a long time. Um, I worked in a, uh, like a goth industrial fetish club in Seattle for a decade. Um, that was incredibly educational. I got that job the day I turned 21. Um, and yeah, and worked there until I was in my thirties and, uh, it was, I would take my breaks and go sit in the back in the dungeon um, next to the guy who ran it, who uh, had a master's in psych and he was hilarious. <laughs> and so I would just sit back there and I wonder if I made up that he has a master's in psych. He had a degree, I know that in psych and he was hysterical and I would just sit next to him and, and be like, okay, so what's that about? Okay, so what does that dynamic mean? Like. <laughs> So that was an incredibly educational uh, stretch in my life. Um, And at the same time I was doing that, I mean, I was 21, right? So at the same time I was doing that, I was also um, a barista trainer for Starbucks um, when they were first 
spinning like on every corner and see, I'm from Seattle. That's where I'm born and raised. And I very much identify as like a Seattle human. Even um, though for whatever reason you live in Tucson, Arizona now, which is very opposite of Seattle. It's so oppositional. It's very strange. I don't even know exactly how it happened. It's Barbara Kingsolver's fault. I read The Bean Trees. Oh my God, what a good book. What a good reason to move. To, I mean, I feel like she really convinced me to move to New Mexico somehow. So, you know, but I haven't done it. Yeah, I don't know. She made it happen. Well, and I read that book at the same time that I was nannying for a couple from Tucson who um, talked all the time about how much they loved it here. And uh, they were both hydrologists. So they were in the Northwest to do water work, which is hard to do down here. And yeah. so um, they uh, they were talking all about how much they loved it. I was like 18 at the time. And, uh, and then I read the bean trees at the same time because they were like, you have to read this book. And then I was like, I have to go to Tucson. And somehow that happened many years later. Um, so it's Barbara Kingsolver's fault. Um, so let's see. So I attended bar for a, a long time. Um, I nannied on and off for a long time. Specifically, I took care of um, preemies and newborns. Wow. Um, part of my background growing up, I was a dancer. And so um, a lot of my, I have a movement background. That, and then I went in and I got certified for like Oh, infant, infant brain development and different kinds of like teaching through movement and all of this stuff. Um, and so I worked with uh, babies, newborns, preemies for a long time um, doing uh, brain development stuff and developmental movement stuff. Um, and then I was a book editor. That was like my career career. I was a, a book editor for many years, um, which I loved. And also, which made me stop writing, which wow. is, I know, cause I, I did um, poetry and that turned into spoken word, which turned into slam, which turned into like traveling and doing that and doing like um, local sister spit shows and all of that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. what a dream. I know. And in all um, universe, I met you at a sister spit show. Mm -hmm. I know it was really funny I actually was talking to somebody recently and they were asking me questions like this and I found a clip like an old clip and um it was like somebody that I was flirting with and they were like I want to know about this and I was like I don't want to send you that this is like a 25 year old perform you know whatever and so I sent them this audio clip and they were like <laughs> I just want to say the sister spit cd they produced a cd um, mm -hmm. from some of their early shows that cd still plays in my mind I listen to it constantly it was such a north star for me so often and like gosh I am so grateful to all the artists out there Barbara Kingsolver all of the artists who dared to create whatever was on their heart at that time uh, that like helped me understand more of what was true and possible for me because that's really the role of the artist as AI is like kind of elevating in our consciousness. I mean, it's been in development for a long time, but like we're really seeing what's happening with it. Like it will not replace artists. Artists are real humans with souls and expression and expressing through them. And I think like AI can be a good support. Like I think the robots are good helpers, but they're not, they, we can't let them be in charge, but like what they're doing, and I say they as like the amalgam of they, they're just letting them be in charge. Like we've all seen Battlestar Galactica. We know what happens. Like, oh, no! 
I'm on the robot side and the crows side. I'm a friend to all crows. I'm a friend to all robots. Like, anyway. Yeah, I feel you there. <laughs> I, I am. I am a friend to all crows as well. All blackbirds. <laughs> they are my friends, and that's hilarious. BSG. Yeah, I'm. I'm definitely a big BSG kid. It's like. I have, okay, one of my most prized possessions in the world. I have a Carathrace action figure. Ooh. Still in the box. I'm obsessed. <laughs> I'm obsessed. <laughs> Starbuck! I mean, come on. I mean, you were an original barista trainer back in the time when, because I, I don't think people who are younger, how old are you? 50. I just turned 50. You just turned 50. Wow. I was thinking you were 45. Okay. So we're like six years apart. Right. But I don't think people who are like younger than 40 understand what it was like before Starbucks was everywhere. Cause like <laughs> in 1996, it came to my hometown uh, where I was graduating from high school and it was a big mm -hmm. deal that we finally got a Starbucks. And then now it's just everywhere. So like being a barista trainer at the time when it was like doing the thing, like that's a you were part of like a huge cultural zeitgeist. It was so bizarre because I would work at the club all night. We closed at 4 a.m. Um, and then we would like clear everybody out and clean up and count out. And then I would go straight to um, whichever Starbucks I was training at and open it. Um, I gave myself ulcers doing that because every morning I would be so tired and I would go in um, and I would like pull, I would like turn the machines on and I would pull um, a shot of espresso and then I would like throw it back when it was still boiling hot. Every morning I would do because I did, I was just like, oh, this is hard. And um, yeah, it was hilarious. But uh, before, before you could say quad venti over ice or whatever, yeah. like. These were actual machines, by the way, not to be like back in the day, but. They were actual machines where you had to actually know how to use them. Mm -hmm. I don't even know if they have barista trainers anymore. I think they just are like, push this button. <laughs> I haven't been in Starbucks in so long. So I don't know that I've even seen that there's just buttons to push now and not like the actual. Yeah. I, yeah. It's not, they're not, they're not real. Wow. That's really sad, actually. Like, I feel like yeah. there's an art to, like, the physical form. machine. Yes. Again, there's soul and art. Yeah. Yeah. Coffee. Yeah. Coffee is definitely an art form. I mean, I think that's a very, like, I grew up in Seattle thing to say, but, you know. I grew up in the Bay Area cool. with Pete's Coffee and with two parents who both, they could agree on nothing. They were divorced my whole conscious life. But like the several things they agree on, one of them is Pete's Coffee is like superior. So like I grew up with like true coffee snobs and I'm, I appreciate that. I can't drink coffee anymore. Had to give that up and alcohol at 33 years old. But um, I appreciate it. And I'm glad I really went hard for it when it was still an art form. Yes, I agree fully. I truly believe that Vivace coffee is the best coffee ever anywhere. Okay. Thank you. Everybody cares. Vivace coffee. Great. <laughs> Vivace um, okay. So when did you uh, permutate into what you're doing now, like full-time psychic mediumship? So um, let's see. So I was um, tending bar again uh, for probably the decade before um, 
I'm always doing like three things at once. I should say that. I'm, I'm, like, <laughs> you have, aren't you an Aquarius? Is he, what's your big three? Yeah. I'm a uh, Aquarius sun, Aquarius moon, Capricorn rising. And then I've got a whole Capricorn stellium going on. Wow. Okay. Capricorn. It's, I don't know. I'm a Capricorn dominant Aquarius. That's Which the makes best you an innovator who can actually get shit done and take things to a finish line. Ideally. Yeah. I definitely yeah. have a lot of, I, I have a lot of follow through. Definitely. Yeah. And yeah. ideas. Yes. Uh -huh. Yes. Too many, probably. <laughs> too many. I don't know. I feel like I used to think that all the ideas that came through were a to-do list. Mm -hmm. And then I realized that my to-do list was self-abusive. So I needed to do a new way of life. And I still haven't even figured out what that way of life looks like. I'm still working. Right. Still going to get a planner. Uh, I'm still going to follow through with my planner anyway. Right. But like, the to-do lists were self-abusive and all those ideas were not necessarily for me. They were just good ideas, right? Like, yes. like a fat coloring book. Someone else made one. I'm really glad that happened because I, as I endeavored to start creating that, like, I was like, I don't even know what I'm doing. And if I had waited 10 years, the AI is better and the fat coloring book is easier, you know, like, <laughs> uh, yeah, there's a lot there anyway. Uh, okay. So I feel like that's fully Capricorn shit to just be like every idea I have is a to-do list. Yeah, I and they're great really ideas. That. It's not that they're not great, but you got to figure out like the difference between great and this is for Bevan. You know, like this is an idea that's coming through me that can only be me. Like back at dance party aerobics, like for a minute yeah. because people wanted me to do teacher training, I was endeavoring to do a teacher training. But then eventually, as everyone dropped out. And I'm glad they did because it gave me the information like, you know what? I don't want to train teachers. I want to just teach aerobics and the aerobics are enough. So that's what I'm going to do. And if someone wants to create Fat Kid Dance Party ethics in whatever they do, they can come to my class and learn how I see the world and then do it, make your thing, you know? Yeah. Yes. Fully agree. Fully agree. Um. How did I end up in this? Uh, I think a handful of things happened. Um, I, you know, I kind of moved away from this work for a long time um, because I got married to a skeptic. A Gemini moon. Uh, well, not that one. That one was a cancer. She has a 12th house cancer moon. God help us all. But um <laughs> Different marriage. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> to, to have like to have feelings that big that are essentially running your life and not be able to identify that they're there at all is like it's a thing. Problem. <clears throat> anyway, uh so yeah, so I was married to a uh skeptic for many years, and um I think that I um I just kind of stepped back from it, you know. Um, and being, I think it, at that point in my life, I was in a, an immense, I don't know. I was like fully in the codependence, you know, fully in the, like, what do you need? I'll do that. Yep. Um, and, uh, and doing it Capricorn style. Right. So I was like, I'll just be responsible. I'll just like do all the things and be responsible for all the details of everything that we have going on, mm -hmm. you know, all the money and pay the bills and do the things and make the appointments. Blah, blah, blah. Um, and so I was like too busy to do anything 
for myself. And then uh, anytime that I did have, um, it was just sort of assumed that that like belonged to my wife, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and that my marriage ended really abruptly. It was not my plan, um, but I am so fucking grateful. How old you were know? you? Uh, when that happened, God, I was um, 40 something. It was five, almost six years ago. Wow, an abrupt so, end. Yeah, it was wildly abrupt. Um, it was awful. I was treated very badly, um, but I came out of it. it. It was like the moment that happened, um, all of the abilities just like boom, came roaring back up. And um, I tell people this all the time, you know, um, how in the, like, if you're familiar at all with 12 step structures, then, and all the little sayings, right. Mm -hmm. um, there's, you know, it was something that they say is like, uh, when you're in recovery, your disease is like, on the side doing push-ups, right? Like your disease is getting stronger. And so people who, you know, have been clean for a bunch of years or have been sober for a bunch of years and then they go back out, um, it's, they just get like punched in the face because the disease has been developing the whole time. And um, so I, um, I feel like abilities are the same way. I feel like even when we set them aside, even when we repress them, even when we hide from them, um, when we come back to them, they've been developing the whole time. And so um, I felt like I knew stuff before when I was doing this work. Um, but when I came back to it, when my, cause I was married for 11 years. So when my marriage ended, um, my abilities just went boom and I was so overwhelmed by it. Um, and then I uh, was the relationship I was in after my marriage, um, they were uh, like running a night in a bar um, and they were like, hey, uh, what do you think about reading cards at this night? And I was like, God, I haven't done that in years, but that sounds amazing. Let's do it. Um, and so I did. And then, uh, I just immediately got such a, a massive response from that. Plus it was like this really sweet little moment where it was this entirely female crew. Um, yeah, it was. So, um, my ex is non-binary, but basically like opened the thing and then left. Oh. And so that was like a whole, it was like all femmes and we were just like in there, like, okay, what are we going to do? And, um, and so I read, um, I read cards there once a week and it started to just grow and grow and grow. And then, um, I just started getting clients and then I was like, oh, uh, cause I have a friend who, um, is, he's fantastic and powerful and like a brilliant practitioner. And, um, and he was like, he always says, you have to pay attention to what you're, what's being asked of you. Right. And it was like over and over what was being asked of me was these people who were like, can I contact you? Can I talk to you elsewhere? Can you, you know, can I talk to you for longer? Can it not be in this public setting? Can you do something private? Um, and so I just kind of set up shop 
again. Um, and then it just, and then the pandemic happened. Um, and then I was like, oh, all because I always am doing three things at once, all the other things fell away. And then I was like, oh, uh, I guess I'm just going to sit in my office in my house and <laughs> talk to people. Um, yeah, and it, it just has wildly um, developed from there. And, and I keep like leveling up in the work. Um, the mediumship was the last thing to come online. I fought it for a really long time because I was terrified of it. Mm. Can um, identify, have told spirit, I don't want to do mediumship. And then I got a mediumship reading that came through. What We're going to talk about this in a minute, but the first person I went on a date with after my divorce, like I got a message from grandma a couple of days later. I was like, really? Um, anyway. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> It's, uh, uh, yeah, we should <laughs> talk about that. Um, I, yeah, it, I actually love doing that work now and I don't find it, uh, it's, it's actually not scary at all. Um, it's actually beautiful 95% of the time. Um, you know, not every single person who passes suddenly becomes a loving person once they leave their body. So every once in a while, somebody comes in that I'm like, seriously, but, um, but I also like have learned, there's been a learning curve there where like my boundaries are really specific now. Right. And I'm like, you can come in if it's, you know, in the best interests of this person, if you are connected to me or to the person I'm talking to by love or by blood, mm. if you, um, have something healing and or helpful to say, um, and the last one I had to add in because there would be these people who would just like come in and they just wanted to like chat, like they didn't, have, like they weren't there to deliver any like profound message of love or do anything else. They were just like bored and they wanted to talk or like, you know, saw a window in and it's so wild. And so I had to just be like, no, which these are the rules. Mm -hmm. These are, you know, yeah. And I have really hard rules around like the manifestation part, even like for my people, I'm like, I don't want to physically see you. Don't yeah. do that. Right. That will scare the shit out of me. And then I'll be like, no, thank you. I'm done. You know, it's interesting. It's something I'd like to remind people is that unlike your shitty family members, spirit does respond to your boundaries and respect your boundaries. And you yeah. can take them and like, I, as a little girl, I didn't know what I was doing, but I was like, no ghosts. I don't want to interact with ghosts at all. And there were multiple haunted houses at my Girl Scout camp that I would sleep in, you know, maybe a week at a time here and there, especially when I was a camp counselor, but like yeah. the most haunted house, I never had an experience, even though people had experiences all the time. And like, I know now I'm like, oh, that's because she was setting her boundaries. Yep. Yep. If you're in the body, you're in charge. I tell people all the time because it's that's the rule right yeah and there are there are energies out there that will uh, that will work really hard to convince you that that's not the case but it is if you're in the body you're in charge and you can say no <laughs> you know um I have some can I ask you questions about your son of course okay great so you had um you came to parenting your son through foster and adoption? Yep. 
Will yeah. you talk about I that? Say, I don't want to say his name though, but we can definitely talk about yeah. it. Whatever um, boundaries you want to have around that. But I'm just curious about the process of like deciding to not gestate and to foster and adopt and what your experience was like. Uh, that is funny because um, in true uh, psychic style, when I was 11, I had this conversation with my mom. I remember it specifically. She was in the laundry room um, and I went down there for something and we were talking and I told her, um, when I grow up, I am going to adopt. I'm not going to have babies. I'm going to adopt and I'm going to be a book editor. Um, I don't know, but I clearly I had had some kind because I don't remember how that information came to me, but I just remember telling her like, this is, this is what's up. And I was always really clear about that. Like I was very clear that, um, I wasn't going to have babies. Um, and I know now I didn't find out until I was in my forties that I physically am not able. Um, I just knew. Right. And I, and I think we very often do. We very often know what our body wants to do or doesn't want to do or is able to do. Um, and so I, I also just have always really strongly believed in adoption, but I also, I never had that physical pull. I never had like that need to be pregnant or that need to birth a baby. Um, so, but I had worked with kids my entire life and I knew that that was definitely part of my road and that it, it just wouldn't make it, it wouldn't have made any sense for me to be me and not have that be part of my road. Um, and so I, um, we kind of looked into all the possibilities when I was married, um, we, we looked into all the possibilities. Um, we looked at, um, birthing. We looked at like a friend of ours being a donor. That's when I found out for sure that, um, I physically wasn't able. And I was like, awesome. I don't think I wanted to do that. <laughs> and then, um, I, uh, I think it would have been really confusing to like have another psyche in, in my body um, psychically speaking, like, I think that would have been really confusing. Um, so, you know, we kind of talked through that and then, uh, we were living in Seattle. We were back up in Seattle and living there for a while. Um, and we looked into adoption. Um, and I just didn't like the way it felt like, uh, parts of the process and kind of the way it was done. I did just didn't like, um, and then, cause I just, had have such strong feelings about the foster system and about like that there are so many kids who desperately need care and love and intervention and um and fostering is really really hard um it's really emotionally complicated it's also a thousand times over the best thing I've ever done. Um, but it is challenging, right? Like you really have to be on board and understand what it means and what it is, right? Because the goal, theoretically at least, the goal of the foster system is for you to 
care for a kid with the intention of reuniting them with their birth family. Um, and that can be a really emotionally complex thing to hold because their birth family might be terrifying or, you know, incredibly dysfunctional or a thousand other things that you can have all kinds of judgment about and you get attached to these kids and you, and you just want to protect them and care for them. And then it can start to feel like, um, those relationships can be really difficult, you know, um, in my kid's case. Um, so we started looking into fostering and then, um, we went through the foster training and in the process of going through the foster training, um, I became a foster trainer. Of course. Um, <laughs> Why not? <laughs> if I can turn this into a job, let me do it. I have a lot of yeah, yeah. Out of my chart. Um, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, the, the woman who was our trainer was just so awesome. And I just loved her and, and respected her so much. And, and we just really like saw eye to eye. Um, and so she was like, listen, I need somebody, you know, I, I need a counterpart to do this with. Um, yeah. So I started doing that, um, and learned an incredible amount about, you know, how the system works and all of the stuff. Um, and then, um, at one point was offered like a, a full-time job to do that work, like the, uh, the work, like the placement and the, and the whatever work. And, um, by the time they offered me that, I was already a parent. Mm. Um, and I was like, who can do this for, I think they were paying like $13 an hour. Wow. And I'm like, who, what? For what? I mean, I like, I just couldn't even wrap my brain around it. So I, I said no, but, um, cause I wouldn't have been able to take care of my child. I mean, it was insane. Anyway, so um, I became a foster trainer, was like, you know, really in the system or whatever. And I started doing trainings for um, like preemies and um, uh, like uh, medically complex, they called it at the time, they called it medically complex um, fostering where it's, it's like a whole separate level of training and certification that you have to have for kids who have, um, you know, who need feeding tubes or who need, you know, other levels of care, right? So I started doing those because I had worked with those babies for so long. Um, and so when my son was born, um, he was uh, 30, he was born at 33 weeks. So he was seven wow. weeks early. Wow. He weighed four pounds. Um, he was in the NICU for like 21 days, um, for 20 days actually. And then I got him on the 21st day. Um, so I've had him since he was born. Um, and he, um, at the time I was still married. So like we got him when he was 21 days old. Um, and uh, and that was because I had the background, like I had the background to take care of him out of kind of all of the people that were available. Um, 
because he, he had a hole in his heart. He had um, the top of his skull wasn't closed. Um, he had all kinds of stuff. I mean, like his, the whole left side of his body was dragging. Um, he, like, there's a huge long list. Like, um, it was incredibly complex. And so um, I spent the next two years um, of my life and his life and our life um, doing that. It was basically, it was like specialists, therapists, social workers, lawyers, you know, all of the things. Um, and the reason um, we were allowed to adopt him um, is because his birth mom um, passed away. Um, that happened after the adoption was granted, but the adoption was granted because she, um, everything that happened with him was because his birth mother was um, diabetic, type one diabetic, um, and had a bunch of complications from that during the, during the pregnancy. Um, and so he was like, they were airlifted. He was born by emergency C-section. They were losing both of their heartbeats. Like it was a thing. Um, and she went into a diabetic coma after that. Um, and so when she woke up, she was unable to take care of him. So, um, it, that was like the, it's a lot more complicated than that, but that was the gist of the process. And so it was incredibly, uh, mentally, emotionally, physically exhausting, but, um, he, they granted us adoption um, in May of 2016. It's, um, I just want to point out how you had been training for this your whole life, like how you managed to know at 11 that you were going to foster and adopt. And then at like 18, you started working with preemies. Like it's astounding how life really prepares you for yeah for these giant things that are going to come into your life and like you know the those first two years with a preemie just like doing all the things yeah I didn't sleep <laughs> I think like at all I happen to be an insomniac and so I generally don't sleep so uh and maybe that was also preparation for him but yeah. um yeah so um when we were granted the adoption, um, there was no infrastructure in uh, the county where we live for um, married same-sex couples to adopt. Of course, yeah. Uh, because the the agency that the foster system fed into was a Catholic agency. And so what they had been doing for decades was um, there were queer people adopting, but they would name one of the parents as a single parent. And um, there is no second parent adoption in this state. So there, yeah. So the other parent would just not have rights ever. Wow. Um, yeah. But because when we went through it, um, DOMA had shifted. Um, we were, um, they had to create a department at the county to process the adoption because they couldn't say that we weren't married. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
so um that was like a weird piece of the puzzle too there was like this accidental like uh, activism piece of the puzzle where i was like well <laughs> we have to do that somebody figure it out you know um so there were a lot of strange pieces to it but it's um we adopted him when he just before he turned two um and then my marriage ended when he was three yeah oh it's like you had a year it's just kind of chill a little <laughs> yeah wow yeah yeah that was a rough year for sure i mean even before my marriage ended like it it ended because that was like an incredibly rough year but um since then it's you know just been a journey um uh, my son was uh, diagnosed with autism about six months after uh, my marriage ended. Um, right around the same time my dad died. It was a whole thing. Um, so what that meant then was like a whole nother wave of specialists and doctors and therapists and all these people telling me um, like, what should be happening, what was the right thing to do. Um, and what I learned in that uh, was how powerful the narrative is around um, like fixing and normalizing autism, um, which I am vehemently not on board with. Like my kid is fucking rad exactly as is. Um, and the, the, the idea that, um, he needs to be fixed or cured or it just fucking infuriates me. Um, so that's been a big piece of it. And, and, uh, it turns out the kid is also like wildly sensitive and psychic. Mm -hmm. Um, Not a we surprise. call it, like my friends and I call him the Oracle. Cause he will just like pop off with shit. And you're like, why do you know that? <laughs> or he'll just like come in the room and say a word when I'm talking to somebody and then leave. And then that person he'll come in the room and be like lizard. And then he'll leave. And then the other person will be like, oh my God, I just saw a lizard. And I thought that it meant this. And it's like, yeah, he's magic. My kid is magic. Um, also hard sometimes, you know? Cause he's extremely sensitive and, and, um, the world is, is difficult for him to navigate sometimes because it's not set up for him. You know, I can identify with that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Same. So I'm like, dude, I feel your pain. It's like really loud in here. Isn't it? It's really bright. It's really like too much. There are too many people. Yeah. So we're often on the same page about that, which is great. Cause we're both just like, can we leave now? <laughs> Yes, I love that. And I also really think that the diversity in our species is our strength. And like, we're leveling up timelines, we're making something beautiful out of the world, the old structures of like conformity, and like holding hostage belonging to your conformity, all of that is dying. And like, we're creating a new thing that works for everyone. And it's flexible for everyone. That's my belief. Uh, yes. And the concept of normal, I think, is incredibly toxic. Amen, amen. And I think, you know, it makes me laugh sometimes because, like, in my 
life, I have often been um, criticized for being, because I will very much be like, if I don't like somebody's energy, just even approaching me, I will like very, like, especially when I'm, you know, in the bars and shit like that. And like for our twenties and thirties, I would just be like, no. And people would be like, the people who are with me would be like, oh my God, you can't be that rude. Like you can't be whatever. And I'm like, you can't feel that from like way over there. Like, I don't want to talk to that motherfucker. Like, no. And, um, I would get so much shit about that. And my kid rolls like that all the time. And I love it. I love it so much. Like even with my mom, you know, like my mom will be here and she'll be like, honey, do you want to give Nana love before she leaves? And he'll be like, no, you know, and I really enforced that. And like, that was a really comical conversation to have with my mom where I was like, you can't tell him he needs to give you a hug. You can't tell him he has to touch you at all. You can't tell him he has to say he loves you. Like, no, you know, he gets to do any of those things. Like he gets to feel how he gets to feel. And as long as he's like kind about it, you know, or at least like not mean, I'm good, you know? And also he's allowed to be mean if somebody's being shitty. You know, <laughs> I'm like, do it. Yeah. Oh, I love that. He's allowed to be mean if someone's being shitty. That's good. I think everyone could benefit from allowing their kids to have good boundaries with their bodies. I think that's, um, I'm glad that's an idea that's getting traction in the world, but like, it's, it's really interesting. I see the generational differences, like the resistant, like, I hate to lump people into generational, um, categorizations because I, you know, I, we've talked about this like I know in lesbian feminist communities it's uh typical for people to identify them as a whole as turfy trans exclusionary radical feminists but that's actually not true um there are a lot of turfs among them but I would even say they're the majority the majority of lesbian feminists I know are incredibly warm and welcoming and women first and like they understand solidarity is an antidote to the patriarchy but like there is definitely some stuff I see generationally in terms of like, they've just been under the authoritarian thumbprint for so long and haven't had people teaching them how to be liberated. And like, they think it, you know, and that forcing someone to hug you, forcing someone to say, I love you. That's another way of just authoritarian thumbprint and positional leadership. Yeah, it definitely is. And I think that that stuff is so cyclical, like, especially, um, I was just having this conversation with somebody because I describe myself as a city queer Mm. um, because I grew up inside a queer community in a queer neighborhood, right? Like, and, and so um, I was just talking about like when I was the first time I ever walked into a queer bar, I walked into um, the Wild Rose Tavern in Seattle. I was like 19. It was during the day. Um, you know, and they have like the restaurant side and the bar side. So you could be like not old enough to be in the bar and you could still like be in a queer space during the daytime. And I was like, so excited. And I walked in and I was like fully in my like riot girl phase. And I had, there was like a barrette situation and like a mini skirt, right? Like all that shit and like my little platforms. (laughs) And I walked in and there was this like row of lesbians sitting at the bar who were like, interchangeable right 
to me for in my eyes at that moment um because in that moment it was all about androgyny everybody had like really short hair everybody's wearing a leather jacket everybody's wearing like a white tank top and some baggy levis and some big boots and it was like a whole thing right and it was like the visual code of it and i didn't understand any of that and so i'm like standing in the line and i'm like hi and this woman at the front of this line, I will never forget it, turned around and looked at me and was like, I'm pretty sure you're lost. And I was like, Ooh. right? Like immediately I just kind of like crumbled. And then this, um, this like, oh my God, gray haired, like leather vest, no bra, wallet chain, chaps, like, old school butch comes like roll like butch daddy comes rolling out of the back of the bar and just like walks up and is like she's not lost she's a femme and we're very happy she's here <laughs> and, like, <laughs> and like took my arm and led me to this table in the back with a bunch of her buddies and they like sat me down at this table and uh, gave me this like incredible lesson in like queer history and dynamics. Um, and they were like, they're just doing this thing right now. Give it five years. We'll be doing a different thing. Like, is this, you know, don't worry. And, um, cause I felt so like, oh, once again, I like, I, I don't belong. Right. Mm -hmm. Cause that's like the story. Right super nerdy kid doesn't understand like social dynamics, like, you know, all the things. And so, um, I remember writing this like really, um, angry, um, slam poem, right. About how nobody wanted me to, to wanted to allow me to express my true self and be, I could be a femme if I wanted to be, and I didn't have to just look like everybody else and blah, blah, blah. Right. Mm -hmm. 19. And then I remember distinctly, like, maybe 10 years after that sitting in the same bar and watching this like really angry um like androgynous <laughs> like maybe 21 year old um reading this slam poem about how everybody's telling her that she has to be either a butch or a femme because that's what everybody is and why can't she just be like who she is <laughs> and it just, it was like such a full circle moment for me where I was like, oh, this is really what we do, right? We really like, we tell these stories about how nobody, nobody's getting it right and nobody knows what they're doing. And, um, you know, that we don't have the freedom to be what we are. And um, I think that, you know, there are social cycles of that and generational cycles of that. And, um, but I found it so interesting, like in our, in our microcosms, right. Of our little subcultures, it's the same thing. Like we're like, we come from these cycles and, um, it was really liberating for me later in my life, like now in my life to be like, oh, I maybe don't fully identify as femme anymore. Maybe that's not really my jam anymore. Right certainly not the level of high femme that I was like working with for a long time. Now I'm like, I don't know. that seems like a lot of effort 
Like, God <laughs> bless you for the boobs and the hair and the red lipstick. I don't have it in me anymore. Like, I truly don't. I just am like, I don't. It doesn't appeal in the same way, you know? I did burlesque for years, too. Like, I am not a stranger to, you know, to femme drag. And that shit is fun. But now I'm like, I... I'm really hard pressed to put on anything but a t-shirt. Like, really, <laughs> you gotta convince me. I also just want to say for anyone out there that like femme isn't even about like not wearing t-shirts. You know what I mean? You can do it however you want. And like, if you identify as femme, you're as femme as you are when you're torn down as you are when you're done up. And I will also say like mad respect to burlesque performers who like put a lot of effort into their aesthetic. Cause like, for me, if it's not easy, I'm not going to do it. And so like, I have kind of a uniform aesthetic because that's what makes it easy for me. And like, I can be ready faster than any of my masculine lovers because right. I'm I know how to do it. You know, it's like a uniform and, mm -hmm. but it is like maintenance, right? Like I wouldn't walk around in cleavage unless I wanted to like be monitoring whether my boobs are falling out. Right. Like, or, you know, like that kind of stuff. And it's, I was much more attracted to cleavage uh, as a more regular aesthetic a long time ago than I am now. Like, I feel like yeah. today was, today was special occasion cleavage because we're going to talk about the queer ultimatum. And I just wanted to shout out my gal. <laughs> um, but yeah, let's do it. Let's talk about Queer Ultimatum. Okay. Um, because I feel like it was so special. So Jeff and I know each other through the Chrissy Tolly Discord. Blessings to Chrissy Tolly for starting her community so that we could all meet and know each other. It's such a rich and vibrant community of, I, I think the one commonality, it's not even that we watch reality TV, although a lot of us do. Mm -hmm. um, it's that we all say Chrissy is our psychic, right? Like that's the commonality. And then it's like, how do we connect? We do. I don't know. It's beautiful. Yeah, um, yeah. And so watching a reality show alongside people at the same time, like we had watch parties and like long threads of like, and people are going back through now and watching and like going through the threads as we talked yeah. about it, which is so, it's just so rich to do it with other people. Cause I think you can learn more when you process things with people that, mm -hmm. or you do, it's like actual science. You learn more when you process with people than you do when you just like watch it and experience it and there was so much for me in this show like watching when I was 24 years old a little baby Capricorn I too was intending to get married to my partner at that time even though gay marriage didn't exist yet I too felt like I had it all figured out I was a lawyer at 24 like I was like oh this is I'm checking my boxes and like Lexi Goldberg blessings on her like that is exactly how I wore the cleavage out like their OnlyFans didn't exist at that time. Otherwise, maybe my life would have been really great. Right. <laughs> if Patreon had existed in my 20s, I would have really given it a shot to be a working queer artist earlier than I did. Yeah. I had to kind of ease my way into it with three jobs at a time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, okay. So what are your big takeaways, your favorite parts of Queer Ultimatum, your favorite parts of watching that show in community, all of the things? Um there's a lot, you know, it's, I was not, um, a reality TV watcher, um, until, uh, at some point, Chris was doing something and she was like, do you want to like 
uh, do commentary on this with me and, and whatever. It was one of the bachelor seasons, I think. And I was like, okay, let's see how that goes, you know? Um, and it's, you know, how we kind of came to it in the first place is, is this idea of it being like, it's amazing. Reality TV is amazing practice for, um, like gauging your, uh, psychic capacities for gauging your intuitive capacities for all of that kind of stuff. Right. When we're doing like, um, intuitive photo readings of the people before we've even seen them interact. And we're like, I think this is going on with this person. Right. Um, it's a really useful exercise in that way. And then to be in it, um, as a group, uh, doing it live collectively like that was so wild and it was so fun. And, um, and to be able to do that, you know, with a queer show and like, is it problematic in several ways? Yes. yes. As everything uh, is like, yeah. you're not going to get like purity culture is part of the patriarchy and purity culture. Again, we re we recreate the patriarchy within our subcultures. Right. So like the idea that anything can be without flaws is purity culture slash Virgo things. And we exactly. can release that idea. Yes! <laughs> exactly. Right. Like, was it going to be perfect? No. Were, you know, were there going to be bad calls made uh, uh, by, you know, companies, networks, production? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, the and contestants themselves, all of those things. So many bad calls. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's just, um, it's been interesting to, God, there was just so much to it. I mean, I, from kind of like day, I think it actually was day one, from like episode one, I was like, I had very strong negative feelings about Vanessa. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually, now, now that my friends are picking up watching it, I'm gauging who's a really good discerner of character. Cause I didn't realize that anything was going on with Vanessa until episode two, halfway when Lexi C. Goldberg stood up and told us what was going on with Vanessa. And I was like, Oh, but now like there's this person who's a pal, who's a therapist who knew like halfway through uh, episode one, you knew already in episode one, my bestie, Rachel, who is the person that now has to approve everyone I want to marry because she's been right every time. Yes. Uh, Rachel was like this girl Vanessa like halfway through episode one I was like okay well Rachel's a great discerner of character and she even she wrote down like Vanessa's way of dating and like the way she does it and um yeah I'll put that on my blog it was it's pretty it's precise and it's excellent and it's like you watch people who have um pathology do their script on people and like oh. once I realized that like I had a really toxic ex once who like I called her a mongoose because what she would do is she would like come at you from every possible angle yeah. and like relentlessly text you until she got a response and yep. the only way to deal with people like that is gray rock yeah. um but anyway like Vanessa's one of those people she would totally over text you just with no regard for your feelings yeah. or your experience yeah bombardment yeah full mm -hmm. on and I think um yeah that was a, a I definitely I had like such a visceral reaction to her and it was really funny because um my business partner um 
who is also a dear friend of mine, like went through and watched the show um, on her own after all the rest of us had watched it. And uh, she like found the place, you know, where the commentary started and then like read the commentary along with it. And she was like, before she even saw my first, uh, like, Vanessa, she was like, oh my God, what's, what is going on with this girl? And I was like, just read the commentary. (laughs) Two minutes later, she was like, okay, we really are, because we're just on the same page about a lot of things. And that was one of them was just like, she was like, I don't understand. Why doesn't everybody see? (laughs) And it's just, I think it, you know, it is partially a discernment thing, um, but it also is like, um, you know, I mean, I think there's some hypervigilant stuff in there and whatever, but the, the discernment thing is really big, you know, and, and it's, um, you know, I saw Vanessa, Vanessa coming. I didn't see Yoli coming. I felt for her for a long time. And then yeah. I was like, oh no, you know? Mm-hmm. but not not until like way later down the road and i think that you know and i have a lot of compassion there and i think there was like genuine confusion but also also not cool you know and um like also not uh honest and um but i also in a very capricorny way this is like it's also an aquarian thing right like uh, I um I have a lot of strong feelings about the truth, right? Mm-hmm. And um oh crap, I'm so sorry. I'm we just sorry. got. Uh, I thought my do not disturb was on. Let's make it happen. There. Okay. So sorry. <laughs> so I really thought it was on. I was like, don't forget to turn your do not disturb on. Um. Anyway, I um I think that. Yeah, it, part of what was interesting to me watching it is like, A, is it you who said the thing um, about like, that ultimately what they're doing is like creating this, like these potentially poly dynamics and then imposing monogamous, uh, like sort of morality. standard morality yeah. on it. And it's just a trap. Like they just put them in a trap and <laughs> there's kind of no way to do it well there isn't and what's really sad to me is like that's the truth of all reality dating shows is essentially it's a polyamorous situation with monogamy like dripping all over it so it's like there's no real way to get genuine feelings because people are far more complicated because monogamy isn't inherently natural it's just one of the possible ways of being a different human who loves uniquely right and like this is it's what surprised me most was actually there was less of the lesbian square dancing than I thought there would be because it's yes. you've never been gay in a small town you know the lesbian square dance where like two lesbian couples break up and they get together with each other's exes like yeah. um, it, it is how it works I mean the mongoose I was just referring to was the ex of the person that my person left me for and yeah. like it was the perfect lesbian square dance and like but you know then it was turned out to be more toxic but you know I was young I was 27 28 going through my Saturn return I had to learn some lessons the hard way my right. favorite thing about watching reality tv for, as like a person who wants to learn in the world which I know is not a typical way to watch reality tv but you can learn your lessons through other people's experiences oh, and so like I feel like I've leveled up in my discernment of people which has been a, a lesson I've been learning 
frequently over time is that you can't just trust someone just because they're queer, just because they're femme, just because they're fat. <laughs> None of those things make them trustworthy. Like that was a lesson I had to learn the hard way through pain. Um, yeah. And I know I can learn my lessons through joy and through other ways. And like, it's a safe community where we're talking through these things. Oh, I'm learning more about how to discern. And like also learning people's like, I don't know. I I like the idea of the lesbian square dance. I'm surprised none of them really cashed in on their new relationship energy. What a shame. What a yeah, missed opportunity. Yeah. New relationship energy does not come around every day, y'all. So like, no, it's not. and it's, no, it's, not. it's a beautiful drug if you can cash in on it. And like, I also, I'm really looking forward to the potential for, because the same people who produce uh, Love is Blind produce the queer ultimatum. We can tell because of those metal cups. But right. I really want there to be a parallel poly love is blind where like the people are going back and talking to their partners about who they yeah. to and connect with. And like, cause all of that is juicy. And if we could just normalize or like not, it's not normalizing because normal is a toxic idea. So it's like destigmatizing or like creating the possibility for people to have multiple love relationships at once, which is yes how a lot of people are wired. And yes. And, and like just making a safe space for that. Every single one of those couples on the Queer Ultimatum needed a couples therapist, not a reality oh experience. Deeply, <laughs> deeply needed one. And several of them needed, I mean, like, you know, there were people I really, really felt for. Mm -hmm. um, Aussie, top of that list. You said the most brilliant thing, which is that Aussie, like we feel for Aussie, but Aussie needs to not be dating. Uh, it's unethical for Aussie to be dating with the amount of work that Aussie needs uh, psychologically to heal from intense trauma. Yeah. Yeah. Like if you're, it's troubling to me. It's troubling to me to see people who don't appear to be developmentally adults mm -hmm. being in adult relationships like that's it's not just incredibly confusing and bizarre for the other person it's also like damaging for this person who is not like if, if we're not operating on an adult level like what what's happening there and how confusing is it for you you know yeah and like yeah. here's something I've learned for discernment purposes to to kind of detect that I think because like um as someone who has a lot of experience lying to myself about people I'm romantically attracted to because yeah. I need to make it okay to date them and want them and have them in my life right so here's something is like slowing down and allowing a slow burn to reveal someone and when yeah. someone's fighting uh with you and going into that fight or fight space just pause and consider how old are they acting in this moment because that will tell you when that trauma wound happened it's extraordinary it's a tell and it's extraordinary and I wish I had learned it years and years ago but of course like I probably wouldn't have implemented it because again that was inconvenient for what I wanted to be happening right, um, so the more I trust spirit and trust that the things that are happening for me are happening for me on their right timeline it's a frustrating thing but it's better that way yeah and also I think even beyond like, how old are they acting right now? Like I have found it really useful to just, to be like, how old is this person acting right now? This is how old this person is right now. Mm -hmm. Like I need to interact with this person as though they are that old in this moment, you know? And uh, one of the biggest things that I've learned 
uh, I don't know. I think this has to do with the discernment, but it also has to do with like dating while psychic, which is a mm -hmm. thing we have discussed, um, is that I had to learn to not say to somebody um, who is like really upset in the moment, um, something like, okay, so I'm clear that this is not about me, but is actually about your mom. Are you clear about that? Because <laughs> it turns out that really pisses people off. As I said during, uh, I think it was like episode four or five, like this fight is not about the dog. Like it's not about the dog. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing about that was about the dog for God's sake. Oh, one of the gals on uh, the Discord or person on the Discord, uh, she, her identified on the Discord. I don't know if she goes by gal, but um, the, she said she, she and her partner, if either of them is in an inner child state of mind, they're not making adult decisions. And that's such a good relationship rule. Like having a safe word for fights has been such a beautiful thing I've implemented in my relationships and like just allowing it to not, 67% of all conflict in relationships is unresolvable. Really, yes. You don't need to have this fight. Like, exactly. uh, and just, and being willing to walk away from things, recognizing that things are not urgent uh, most of the time if they're important and um, having a chill around that. Um, yeah. Let's talk a little bit about dating while psychic. Like, are there things that you have learned? <laughs> let's talk about queer polyamorous dating while psychic yes yeah oh my god when you know what the metamor is breaking down about without even needing any information that is yeah. fun dude like yeah and you know and just oh god it has been um a journey i you know after my marriage and then after the the partnership after that which was like a long thing this is my yes. joke about that. This was is my that joke. The Gemini about... Moon, huh? Is that person the Gemini Moon? Uh, that was the double Gemini. Yeah. Double Gemini, yeah, yeah. No. So, uh, which and I'm a sucker for that. <laughs> I love it. I love the wit and the charm, but the tenuous relationship to truth is a little troubling. Ugh, it's um, so hard. Oh yeah, it's really hard. And um. But that, you know, my joke about that is that, um, you know, I've come to understand uh, polyamory as a truth for me. Um, and also that um, I move really slowly. Mm -hmm. And people, I think, often are like, oh, it's this or it's this. And um, my joke about that relationship is that that is the one time in my life that I ever tried to have a one night stand. And 17 years later, we were still like on and off and going back and forth. Like, and so I now understand this is like, that's not a thing, right? Yeah. Some people are really comfortable with like hookup culture. Some people like that works really well for, I think that's amazing. I wish I was wired that way. I Me am not. too. It would <laughs> be so easy if I was wired for hookups and right? casual sex I can't be casual about anything this is why no. I have to monitor my energy my priorities and my boundaries yep exactly exactly and that's um you know I had a how do I talk about this without being too specific um so I was on uh like a poly app I did 
uh, met a person, we were chatting like via text, right? Um, and it was like developing, they're married, um, and like the marriage was not well, right? <laughs> and as soon as I, as soon as I came to understand that the marriage was not well, I was like, so I, that's troubling to me. That's a problem, right? Because in my estimation, if we're doing polyamory, like, especially if we have like a primary partnership and we're doing polyamory, like this partnership needs to be in good shape, right? If we're branching out from here because this is a shit show, then like, what are you doing? You're just taking your shit show on the road and like offering it up to other people. Like the fuck is that, you know? So it's true because you can't, a lot of people turn to polyamory rather than having the hard conversations they need to have about maybe breaking up or changing the situation in their primary relationship. And so it's like, that's not what polyamory is for. Like, for and i think that it's it's this weird assumption that like all people who are operating in polyamory are good communicators and are like <laughs> i wish i wish there was like like when you become a lawyer you have to take this multi-state ethics exam and it's a, a trick they're all trick questions and right. like i wish there was something like that for communication if you were going to enter into a polyamory like Maybe there can be an app where like you have an aptitude test uh, for communication uh, before you can get on it because yeah. Yeah, it really, and you know, I, I try to really pay attention to myself because uh, you know, of like social code stuff and that I, I often, it's like, I can't tell if I don't understand the social code or if I just think it's fucking ridiculous. And when you're like working on the psychic plane all the time and you're working with spirit all the time, like spirit, or at least the way I experience spirit and the spirit that I'm communicating with doesn't play like that, right? Like spirit is no bullshit. Spirit is very like, we're not over here operating in some like Judeo-Christian, you know, weird limited morality wherein this is right and this is wrong. Like that's not it, right? Um, but it's also very simply like, are, are you being shitty or are you not like, you know, and you know, the answer to that, if you actually ask yourself, if you actually examine your motivation or your actions at any given time, are you being shitty or are you not? None of us are perfect. Sometimes we're being shitty, but like, and this isn't like you know, if you're polyamorous, you should be some like perfect person. That's not it. It's just like, if you know that you're in a relationship that's not good and you are proposing to bring other people somehow into connection with said thing, you know if this is a mess and you're doing that and you're and you're bringing other people into a mess right yep um and 
um, I had the, the like mongoose experience with that, where I was like, cause this is my little speech is like, check it out. I am extremely complication averse. If this gets complicated in a dumb way, I will. Yeah. And I, I had to like have that conversation multiple times with like all of the people tangentially connected to this one thing. And I was like, this is exhausting and I don't want to do it. But it's very much that um, energy protection thing, you know? And I, I was just like very grateful uh, in, in that particular process. I was very grateful to spirit for being like, we're just going to like throw a charge into the middle of this and explode it so that you see the full extent before this person is ever in your physical space right or like knows where your house is <laughs> that's really helpful sometimes the like you know i love this saying god's or life's rejection is god's protection and it almost always turns out exactly like that you know it's like oh i'm so glad this happened this time instead of getting bringing that chaos into my nice peaceful life i've worked so hard to create yes 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 and it's been you know and i think it's also it's weird in general trying to date. I feel like there's all these layers to it, right? Like it's weird in general trying to date being queer and uh, like in the middle of some kind of shift in my gender expression. So that sometimes I'm like, I don't really know how to clarify for you exactly where I'm coming from. So you're either into it or you're not, and I don't really know how to explain it. So this is what's up, right? Mm -hmm. And then, um, and then looking at like uh, being a, being a single parent, right? Being a single parent of a not typical kid, which means that like when I'm parenting, that's all I'm doing, and I don't have, I don't have, nor am I willing to have time or energy for other people in that space right i'm like this is what i'm doing i'm dedicated to doing this i have these three days a week where i can be a grown-up and interact with you and that's the way my life works mm -hmm. like, and presenting that can be like really interesting <laughs> because it's either people are either like um oh uh you're looking for another parent which i am not my child has so many parental figures it's out of hand like we really we're already a village over here we don't need any more and um and it's also so it, like they're they're either coming from that or they're like they want a family and they want to do this whole like you know thing the whole like married thing like they want to be stepdaddy or whatever and and i'm like i you know I'm very much coming from like solo poly. I got three days a week, like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and like, don't have any tolerance for bullshit. And, um, like to put all of that on. And then on top of that, be like, also, um, psychic, right? <laughs> so like, when you're psychic and you're dating, you're dealing with and connecting with 
the person, I think far more than the three days a week you have available, right? Because like, there's just, you just know so much and you have access to so much that like, I mean, God, even if I get, if I get someone's birth chart data, I'm going to have multiple dates with them that they don't even understand that I'm having as I'm looking at their birth chart, talking to my psychic friends about their birth chart and like learning more about like everything that I possibly can about this person. And uh, I, I find it fascinating. I'm a real proponent now for the slow burn because I think our intuition is demanding from us a slow burn in everything in our life. And capitalism is teaching us this like hyper urgency cycle, right? That's like not good. And so when you allow your intuition, a slow burn on anything, not just dating, but anything you need to make decisions about the slow burn and peace in your nervous system will give you the clarity that you need um, to make the next right choice versus like, the dopamine oxytocin the equivalent in your body of heroin and cocaine that you get from sex is like informing all these decisions and like that's why lesbians you haul because like the like oh like the emotional uh just connection that yes yes it's yeah it's all in there yeah and i think too that you know we really um one of the things uh, that occurred to me at some point, which is so obvious, but whatever, it took me forever to register it, is, you know, who's not patient and who's not going to be down for a slow burn? <laughs> Narcissists. Narcissists hate a slow burn. Yeah. Yeah. They want that. Not to touch it. Yeah. Right. You can't love bomb on a slow schedule. Like you can't do that shit because it doesn't hold. It takes too much energy and consistency. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm all here for a slow burn. And um, it's kind of like the only way I'm trying to roll, you know? And um, yeah, I don't. Grace. Um, okay. I told you when we were scheduling this podcast, we could go six hours. And I think the truth is there. <laughs> Yes, but we didn't we didn't promise a heart out. So um people can reach you to book uh anything they want from your list of services uh yes. through the link in the show notes because you're gonna send me links. But will you yes. tell them now just the verbal of how they can get in touch with you? Yeah. Uh my website is justmorgangrace.com. Um and you can go there and um any number of the things I do are listed there. Uh basically the things that like have a standard fee are listed there. And then um, any of the other stuff that I talked about uh, that isn't on the website, isn't there because it doesn't have a standard fee. You just got to get a hold of me so that we can talk through what that is. Um, and I want to say really quick that I also do um, retreats with my business partner, Melissa. Um, they, it's called the threshold. Um, and it's uh space to come together and to um if you have abilities and you're trying to figure out what's going on or you have a bunch of sensitivities and you're overwhelmed and you're trying to figure out what's happening and how to use those uh that's what we do i love that and i really appreciate you talking about how the skills get stronger on the side even when you're not using them i feel like i heard a good astrology reading of the astrology of what's going on right now is like if you have things that you've been ignoring that want to come back to life dust them off and recharge them so they can come back to life yeah yeah 
a wildly potent time. It seems bonkers, but it's just potent. It is. Uh, it is very potent. And like, you know, the capacities that we have in here, I really truly believe it's not about us going and learning those things. Uh, it's about uncovering them, mm -hmm. right? Our shit and stuff, our trauma, our experiences, our conditioning are just piled on top of our capacities. And it's way more about moving that stuff out of the way and excavating what we're capable of. Oh, amen. Right? Jess Morgan Grace, more soon. Another episode coming. There's got to be there's so much to talk about. Um, I love you so much. I'm so glad we're friends. Thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you, Bevan. This was so fun. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. I really have had a lovely time. Me too. As